SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I am your host as always, Brian Stone, joined by Matt Miguez uh, for a what, eighth consecutive week now uh, through the previews and the start of the football season. Matt, say hello to everybody at home. Sunbelt Nation, what's going on, Brian? As always, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So just uh, going ahead and jumping into some of these games from this past week, uh, we will be looking at the uh, week four uh, and doing a recap on that, and then the limited uh, slate for the week five Sunbelt slate. Um, so starting off Thursday night, uh, we kind of thought uh, South Alabama would be able to do a little bit more than what they did. Uh, but UAB, I mean, for lack of a better term, spanked them um, by a margin of 42 to 10. Um, you know, I, I thought that they'd be able, I thought the Jaguars would be able to be a little frisky and, and, and give some resistance to the Blazers, but it really looked like pitch and catch out there for UAB. And, you know, keep in mind, UAB was using a backup quarterback. Bryson Lucero, Bryson Lucero is their second string quarterback this year. Tyler Tyler Johnson is their starter, but he's out indefinitely with a uh, with an injury of some kind. Um, so they went with their backup Brian Lucero, Bryson Lucero, and I mean, eighteen of twenty eight for three hundred nineteen yards and two scores. That's that's not a bad day. It really seemed like whatever uh, UAB wanted to do on the uh, offensive side of the ball, uh, they just did it. Um, I caught most of this game. Um, I kind of cut it off at a certain point just because it was so much of a blowout um, that I think I watched it until UAB scored their first touchdown of the fourth quarter. And I was like, all right, I've had enough. Um, But yeah, like I said, it was just easy pitch and catch for Bryson Lucero to Austin Watkins to uh, his other receiver, Myron Mitchell. Uh, Watkins went absolutely berserk for the Blazers in this one. Seven catches, 183 yards and a score. They also didn't have much trouble running the ball. Spencer Brown, 20 carries, 105 yards, and three scores. Matt, how much of this can you chalk up to did South Alabama's defense start uh, rearing kind of its ugly head and showing some of the same problems they had last year? Yeah, you know, I, I think so because – and I, I don't want to take anything away from UAB. They obviously have talent at their skill positions, but – yeah, I, I think I think a large portion of it is just that South Alabama's defense didn't show up the way it needed to, and UAB was able to capitalize on that. So we had kind of talked about this when South Alabama played Tulane. Uh, Chance Lovertich uh, stepped in for Desmond Schroeder. Uh, against Tulane, he played fairly well. Uh, that was not the case in this game. Uh, he completed less than 50% of his passes, 14 of 29. He only went for 168 and a score, as well as an interception in a game that, you know, they were trailing 28 to 10 at halftime. So it wasn't like they weren't trying to throw the ball. It was just, you know, UAB's secondary did a good job defending a lot of these uh, South Alabama receivers. Um, none of South Alabama's uh, pass catchers went over 60 yards or uh, even hit the 60-yard mark in this one. So, I mean, I, I, I said it kind of going in. I think UAB was just a good uh, matchup on paper with South Alabama, and they really were able to take advantage of the things that South Alabama still struggles with, uh, even coming off of the beginning of this season, which has been pretty successful for the Jaguars. Yeah, for sure. Um you know they they've showed a lot of promise early on in the year, but you know that that's now two games. The first one being against Tulane, that you know they they probably should have either a competed better or b maybe have won, and you just didn't. I don't. I don't think there was any any realm you can go to look. You know. 
if Doctor Strange was in front of you and he was showing you all the dimensions, I don't know that there's one where South Alabama uh, <laughs> is close to UAB. <laughs> like, I, I think... Uh, I, I think uh, UAB is just uh, kind of a class above South Alabama. I mean, you're kind of looking at the top of Conference USA versus what What would you say the middle to bottom tier of the Sun Belt? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the fourth percentile. I mean, that's kind of where South Alabama still resides. Um, right. You know, they had a good showing week one against uh, Southern Miss, but we – you know, at that point, didn't know how good Southern Miss was. Uh, and then they looked really good against Tulane and ended up choking that game away in a, in a game that they had a pretty fair advantage uh, going into like halftime. So, I, I mean, these are kind of the growing pains that South Alabama is going to go through. They still have, you know, a fairly young team overall, uh, especially with their quarterback position. But I mean, if they these are the type of things uh, you kind of have to just take your lumps and, and kind of learn from it because um, there's not a lot of positives to take away from a game like this. No, not 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 at all. So, uh, yeah, like, like you said, take your lumps and get ready for next week. For sure. So with the loss, South Alabama drops to one and two this season. Uh, UAB moves to two and one with the win. Uh, so looking at Saturday's slate of games, uh, your Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns were able to come out on top of my Georgia Southern Eagles. Uh, I was not surprised. What? Yeah, they did. Well, I, I wasn't surprised by the end result because I, I actually had picked Georgia Southern to lose by a touchdown. So I was a little surprised by how close they were able to keep it for most of the game. Um, but, you know, again, the end result was exactly what I expected it to be. I, I didn't really expect them to be able to win this game outside of playing app. Uh, and a lot of that can maybe be uh, given up to being a rivalry. Um, Georgia Southern really does like fade when they have leads over, you know, better, you know, teams that are either on their level or better than them outside of app. Uh, you know, so I, I wasn't really surprised by the end result, but you know, credit to you guys as kicker. Uh, I definitely didn't think when he lined up for that 53-yard field goal at the end of the game that he was going to be able to drill it like he did. I mean, if I can be totally honest, neither did I. Um, you know, when when he lined up to kick a 53-yarder, I mean, the dude, as, as much as as much as I respect Nate Snyder, he he hadn't made a field goal inside 35. What, what made us think that he was going to make a 53. And he had also shanked a fairly manageable field goal earlier in this game. So that's another reason why I didn't, I really didn't think he had a shot at it. Right. And you know, the interesting thing, uh, uh, a buddy of mine told me after the game, he was like, you know, with all the missed field goals that Louisiana's had this year, he said, you know, that the kicker has never been the problem. That's he said, watch the snap, watch the hold. So I went back to every miss that Nate Snyder has had this year. And it was all bad snaps. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, clearly what happens when you get a good snap and a good hold, you end up, he ends up drilling it. But, you know, I, I, think, it's, I think it's one of those things where it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we were able to we were able to find a way to to win the game, and that's what good teams do. For sure. So these were the the kind of things that I was looking for um, in Georgia Southern's performance uh, on our side of things. Shy Words, I mean, had to throw the ball way more than he probably should have. Um, you know. If he goes for 250 yards passing plus, uh, like he did in this one, typically it means they lost the game uh, because it means that they weren't able to run the ball as effectively as they wanted to. So, you know, that that was kind of the case here. Uh, he did he was able to kind of drop in some nice passes and, and did show the ability to, you know, keep the, the, the Eagles in the game. I, I mean, it, it just kind of goes back to... This offense is fully predicated on basically just requiring Wirtz to make magic out of nothing. You know, right. so so that's been their biggest problem, and it continues to be a problem. I mean, you you can clearly see 
when the time comes, he can make it happen. You just can't ask for all of your points to come from that, which is kind of what they asked for, especially like the later this game went on. Um, so, I, I mean, that's kind of always been my beef with, with uh, the play calling and Bob DeBess. So let, let me ask you this, you know, since you covered Georgia Southern, you can answer this better than I can. Why was Wesley Kennedy the third not more involved in the rushing attack? So I don't know this either. Um, I, I even tweeted at one point asking if he was on a touch restriction um, because he hadn't played all season. I mean, we'd only had one game before this, and he was one of the 33 that were out. It seemed like he was on a touch restriction, um, and, and I don't really understand why, but a lot of Georgia Southern's decision-making doesn't get revealed until after the game is already over. Uh, right. But I still haven't seen anything that says this is why he didn't touch the ball more than, I mean, he had nine touches. So, and he had 205 yards, or he had 105 yards receiving on two catches. So clearly, you know, they needed his explosiveness. But again, this is something with the best. If he finds some, weirdly, if he finds something that is working, he immediately moves away from it. And this has always kind of been my beef is going back to like when Willie Fritz was the coach, um, for Georgia Southern, if he found like a, a, a crack in the armor of a defense, he would exploit it nonstop. And that was the reason why, you know, the two years he was here, we were so competitive. Well, since the last two coaching staffs have come in, they've not been able to do much of anything uh, well. I mean, it's been a lot. It's been a real struggle outside of like 2018 when we won 10 games. But I, I mean, credit to you guys. uh you know, Levi Lewis was able to to throw for, you know, 290 yards and a score. Uh, I was really concerned about the way the Eagles pass defense was going to look at coming into this one. And uh, they proved me right. I, I was I was right to be concerned. Yeah. And, you know. It, it, it was I, I was kind of surprised with how well we were able to throw the ball strictly because of how many receivers were missing. So I'm gonna give you I'm I'm gonna give you a little bit of you know info on that. We had two receivers, Kyron Lacey and Errol Rogers Jr. They're both true freshmen. Devin Pauley played nothing but special teams last season. Had two catches for 47 yards. Mm-hmm. Caleb Carter, he only had one catch for eight yards, but he was on our scout team up until this week. I knew that I knew that with like COVID and everything that you guys had a good bit of players, especially on the offensive side of the ball, out. And, and um, you see, here's the problem: are our wide receiver issues nothing to do with COVID? It's all it's all injuries. Weird. They're all out for the year with injuries. That's super weird. We weren't missing a single we weren't missing a single receiver because of you know COVID issues or whatever it may be. Does that concern you moving forward um, with the way that this team has played? You know, it kind of seems like through, you know, maybe maybe I'm talking kind of out of school here, um, but it kind of seems like through the first three games of the season, the game has really come down to the arm of Levi Lewis pretty much in all three games. I mean, last week, the running game really did start to come along with Elijah Mitchell. Um, but two out of the three games you guys have played, it seems like you've really struggled to move the ball on the ground, which was, you know, your bread and butter last year. Are you concerned at all about the ability uh, to run the ball and or the pass catchers that you mentioned that are that are out with injury? I'll start with the receivers. You know, my, my concern, I'm not concerned from a talent level because the talent is 100% there. I mean, Kyron Lacey, one guy I mentioned, he was a four-star recruit. We had to fight off Miami and Baylor to get him. Um, so the, the talent is is certainly there. What worries me from a receiver standpoint is the experience level. And then, you know, the, the ability, our ability to run the ball or really inability so far is, I, I think it has a lot to do with just getting the rust off. I mean, because of this pandemic, these guys didn't get a spring. They barely got a summer. They barely got a fall mini camp. And in between that transition between summer and mini camp, 
we had to deal with the death of an assistant offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think it's a lot of things that have charted up into one big thing, and it I think it's just going to be one of those things where it's going to take some time for the running game and the offensive line and whatnot to really get clicking to the point where we were last year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously, like I said, this game really, really did end up hinging on the arm of Levi Lewis. I was, I was pretty impressed with you guys' uh, receivers and the ability to kind of make things happen after the catch. Um, you know, like I, like I kind of touched on, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I was concerned about the secondary and I still am concerned. I have no idea who our corners are through two games. Like, I don't know their names. Um, I, maybe that's just being misinformed on my part, but I mean, we had one game where a third of our team was out this game. Our full team was there. Uh, but it seemed like if you guys threw a five yard pass, it would go for 15. Like they just, they don't tackle. Like it's, it's, it seems almost like a choice to not tackle. (laughs) So, I mean, it's like the Deion Sanders thing. Like I'm paid to, I'm paid to cover, not to tackle like that type of thing where it's like, it's effort. They're, they're not even in the right positions to make a play. I mean, before the catch, while the catch is being made after the catch, like they're just nowhere to be found a lot of times. It's all of it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I was, my biggest thing coming into this year, I knew the thing, the problems we had on the offensive side of the ball, but if the best was going to hang around another year, I, I you know, I kind of chalked those up to there's nothing you can do. The, the loss of our corners to graduation in the NFL draft really are what scared me coming into this year, and they still scare me um, going forward, especially with how many pass-heavy teams we play this year. So um, me, I want to ask you something. Does it concern you that your offense is now 0 for 28 on opening drives under Bob the Best? I mean, un- until Chad Lunsford plans to make some sort of change, um, I mean, I can be as concerned as I want, but it's 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 all for naught. I mean, you know what I mean. So, not, I also want to add something in. Not only are that you you were one off, they're actually zero for twenty nine. They actually haven't scored a touchdown in their last twenty nine games, is what they said on the ESPN broadcast. Oh. Again, well, until until Lunsford goes to DeBess's office and says, "Listen, man." Go back and look at the film from the Willie Fritz era of Georgia Southern football. Go back and look at even the film from last year when we played app. That's the level of aggressiveness you need to have when you call offensive plays, especially when you're playing a team that just finished second in the conference last year. Like you cannot go uber conservative at any point because you can't rely that on, on your freshman kicker to come in and drill kicks like Tyler Bass did last year. You can't rely on like Wesley Kennedy to just break off a long run for a score, especially when you have him on a touch restriction. So, so with all those factors and he still, I mean, it's a key third and five, I think in you guys' red zone where he elected to do the slowest delayed handoff I've ever seen in a football game. And we lost two yards and then our kicker ends up shanking the field goal. So I mean, that's the type. Those are the type of things that have to be corrected. I don't think DeBess is either smart enough, or he doesn't have the courage to to correct those issues at this point. So, walk me through that opening drive. You know, your your offense really moved the ball well on us on that opening drive, and we got you guys got down to the two yard line, I think it was, before we made that big fourth and goal stop with with Cam Pedesco. But yep. did the play calling get conservative as you guys got closer to the end zone or? Yeah. So, so that's always kind of been my issue with the best is when, you know, on that, on that opening drive and even throughout the game, it really felt like attacking you guys edges on the outside and running some speed option was really working. And as soon as the game gets to a point where, you need some points on the opening drive. And if you're going to go for it on two fourth downs, then you need to mix up the play calling somewhat like run a play action or something, get a tight end out in space, get a receiver on a drag route, like do something different. And that's when he starts to fall back on his laurels and is like, 
inside handoff, inside handoff, inside handoff. I mean, that was kind of how that drive ended. Um, so, I, I mean, that's always been my issue with him. Like I said, it's it almost I, I'm almost I'm just completely out on Bob DeBess. I don't think there's anything that he can do at this point to turn it around to make me believe in him as an offensive coordinator again. I will I will be more optimistic about our offense once Lunsford makes the necess- necessary move to fire him and bring someone else in. Um, yeah, and you know, you, you were talking about how early on in that drive you guys were attacking our edges, which, I mean, I think that was incredibly smart because between our two, de- two starting defensive ends and our two starting outside linebackers, we were missing three of the four. Well, and that's the type of thing I'm doing. Um, that's the type of thing I'm saying is is you know when it comes time to to win those plays, they they do a lot of like inside handoffs, and it's really it's really tough to watch because it's just so boring and and there's no variety there. And I mean, I, I I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm completely out on the best. There's it's like an old dog new trick situation. Like he's just not going to change who he is at this stage. And if he's not going to, then we have to make a change in order to do something. Because I actually believe the quarterback coming in after Wirtz is he's a, he's not as good as a runner, but he's a better passer. So we truly, and his name's Justin Tomlin, but we really do need to bring in somebody who can use him to his strengths and not just be like, I don't know, guy. Go figure it out. Which is a lot of what the best does with words. What What do you think about the uh, the ESPN broadcast and how they kept calling uh, Shy Shay? I I honestly don't mind as long as long as they don't call us Georgia State. I, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, I've watched so many bad ESPN three announcers who would just blatantly be like, "The Panthers line up for first and ten here." And it's like, do you not know who's playing today? Are you conf- are you that confused to where you're like, yeah, I just have no clue. Like the, so- the thing, the thing that bugged me about it is so Beth Mowens, she has called you know numerous softball super regionals, and actually a lot of times in Lafayette, she's called Monday Night Football for a brief period. Like she has a resume. And then she comes into Lafayette to call this game and constantly says Shea Wirtz and constantly calls us Lafayette. Like, were, yeah. were you not prepared? I, I think the, the, the thing with you guys is Lafayette, you guys were called Lafayette, I mean, from every angle for so long that it's going to be re- a, a, a decent period of time until people completely drop it. Um, but we were we were called UL Lafayette. Here here's the yeah. issue. Here's the issue that we have as as a fan base. There is a Lafayette College. Mm-hmm. It is in Pennsylvania, and people, including ESPN, love to get it confused. I can remember vividly. I think it was three years ago now. Um, our men's basketball program hit a game winning half court shot against UL Monroe. And it was all over ESPN that night. Top play, blah, blah, blah. But when they put our logo up on the screen, it was the it, was, it was Lafayette College. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding me. That's tough. Yeah. So, I, I yeah, honestly, it's, just, it's I old at this point. I honestly don't mind it because, like you said, you guys were called UL Lafayette for so long. I, I the, the, the part – the getting the entire logo wrong is 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 the biggest no no in sports. Like, right. it's, I mean, to us, I know it's not on the same scale, but to us, it's like mixing up the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots. Just because they have the word "new" in their name doesn't mean they're the same team. You know, right. so I, I totally get it. Um, speaking of, you just said top plays. Uh, Caleb Hood's uh, one hand. Oh Jesus. Reception was the number one play on Sunday. I As well, it should have been. And, and they asked him apparently about it after the game. They were like, hey, man, you know it was the number one play on SportsCenter. He was like, I felt like it could have been better. I was like, 
the catch could have been better or the ranking because it was number one. Yeah, it doesn't get better than numero uno. So just closing this out, I tweeted out a couple stats after the game, and I just wanted to to drop these. Uh, You can feel free to ignore them uh, because they are Georgia Southern-centric, but in their last five games dating back to the end of 2019, Georgia Southern is two and three in their last five games. Um, and including the loss to Louisiana and last season's conference schedule, they are five and four in their last nine conference games. Um, so not good. Uh, I feel pretty strongly about saying that not good. Um, you know, at the end of last year, we, when we, when we beat Georgia state and moved to seven and five, um, Chad Lunsford kind of had a Bart Scott can't wait moment, uh, after the game doing an interview and was super fired up and, you know, was like talking about the, the people that didn't believe in them and blah, blah, blah. But to go two and three in your last five and five and four dating back to last year in conference play. I don't know, man, I, I got to see it on the field before you, before you give another fired up Richard Sherman. Don't ever talk about me type of type of interview after a game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's just that's not the way you should handle that situation. That's not the way you should carry yourself. Um, especially when, like you said, the, the, the stats really aren't there to back it up. Absolutely. If, if they were you know, if they were uh blowing every team in the Sun Belt out and were last year's App State team and they had doubters, I would totally understand it. Um, however, they were seven and five and ended up losing their bowl game and finishing one game above 500 for the season. Right. Um, so, uh, with that game, Louisiana moves to three and O this season, uh, two and O in the Sun Belt. Georgia Southern drops to one and one, including O and one in the Sun Belt. Uh, continuing to move through the games uh, from Saturday's slate, uh, App State played uh, what was a close one through about a half of football with Campbell. Um, they ended up pulling away in the second half and scoring, uh, I believe it was 35 unanswered from the beginning of the third quarter to three minutes left in the game. Yeah. So at one point in this game, it was 13 to seven uh, Campbell with 1130 to go in the second quarter. And uh, an app just ended up pulling away. I mean, we kind of talked about this last week with the loss to Marshall. Do you still do you think there's any reason for them to be concerned as a fan base for their team? Absolutely. The only reason that they won this game is because of Dater Tarrington. Yeah. 211 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, and the stats bear out. I mean, there's no way around it. If you have a guy run for 200 yards, he's the reason you won that game. Because here's the here's the thing. You know, the, the, the talk around Ab State is always about how good Zach Thomas is. Here's, here's, his, here, here's his stat line. 12 of 18 for 131 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. And then Ab State fans are going to say, oh, well, you know, he, he's a better runner anyway. Oh, really? Three carries for six yards on a score. So you had a take a, a little bit before the, before the season started um, that you thought Zach Thomas was slightly overrated. Um, through, yeah. through three games, that take is aging like wine. Um, until he really steps up and is the reason they win, you know, a football game head and shoulders. I mean, it's it, that team is the running game and the defense. I mean, I mean even, kind of, even kind of going back to last year. I mean, my, my, my thing with Zach Thomas is I, I, he is a good quarterback. But, man, there are people in Boone that think he is the best thing since sliced bread. And I, I'm just not buying it. Well, I, I, think, I think when you look at the things that he's accomplished, um, you can definitely see why they think that. Um you know, if you just look at his resume as a quarterback and you and you kind of take the stats and put them aside for a minute, I mean, you can always say that he's never really the reason they've lost, you know? So, so with that said, again, I, I thought this going back to last year with Darrington Evans and their defense was smothering last year. Um, 
you know, the defense and the running game is the reason they win games. Um, it's not the arm of Zach Thomas. It's not the legs of Zach Thomas. I mean, to put it in perspective, I'm looking at their stats right now. They had only four different receivers catch a pass. He completed 12 passes the entire game. So right. on average, he completed three passes per quarter. Like, how yeah. ridiculous is that? It's, it's, it's not good. And, you know, I, I think... And I'll tell you, in my opinion, who I think is at fault, and it's not Zach Thomas. It's the system. Because if you if you look back on it, under Satterfield, Zach Thomas had success. Granted, Satterfield and Thomas weren't together for very long, but Zach Thomas had success. Last year, under, under Eli Drinkwitz, Zach Thomas had success. Because they both ran a similar system. Mm-hmm. And now Sean Clark's running the show. And it seems like the system's kind of changed. Zach Thomas begins to struggle. So I'll say this. Um, I, I was looking through um, some App State fan tweets on Saturday, uh, especially when they were down to Campbell. I just kind of wanted to get – because I was watching Georgia Southern Louisiana. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I was not going to tune in for App State and Campbell. Um, but to be to be honest, a lot of the criticisms I saw were how conservative this offense is. And it was trending that way under Drinkwitz. Um, now, he would unleash Thomas when they needed it. You know, when they were playing a big game, even if it wasn't a giant explosion stats-wise, it was, you know, he, they would let him make a play on, a, like, a key third down or something. And people are saying, I mean, the people that I read tweets from were saying, this is so conservative and so over-the-top, like, trying not to lose games, that that's the reason, you know, they were down 13 to, to 7 at one point. Um you know, I, I think it's going to get them in a little bit of trouble when they start playing kind of uh, some more of the upper crust of the uh, Sunbelt teams because you kind of – I'm not taking anything away from Marshall last week, but they were able to hold App to seven points. Like right. that didn't really happen last year. Well, you know, so, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this. If, if they want to stay conservative for their next game, <laughs> I wouldn't complain. That's a that's a very uh, altruistic thing to say. <laughs> you're, I, I, you're I would not. I would not complain. Uh, so, and if they want to continue that through the Georgia Southern game, totally right. fine. Right. Hey, go go Eagles, baby. Well, so here's the thing with them. To me, you know, they they play some good offenses this year. You know, when you look at their slate, they have. You guys, uh, Louisiana, they play us every year, uh, and we seem to come alive for some reason or for that game specifically. I, I don't I don't know why they don't carry that same energy to every game, but I digress. So Arkansas State, they play the week after Georgia Southern. Uh, they play Troy this season. They play Coastal this season. Georgia State has shown some flashes. I mean, the two cakewalk games that they have remaining are seem to be Texas State and ULM. Um Texas State has even showed the ability to get a little frisky, um, but you know we'll we'll have to save that for a later time because we don't really know what they're working with so far. What I'll say though, a lot of these teams, you know, if if your defense has any holes whatsoever, a lot of these teams are just going to exploit it, and they're not Campbell, and they're not you know Charlotte, and these other two teams that you've beaten, they're closer to Marshall than they are Campbell, so. I mean, I think there's a little bit of reason just to be concerned based off that. I don't know if Sean Clark thinks they're just good enough to to be super conservative and still win. I mean, it worked against Campbell, but I can't say it's going to work long term against these other Sunbelt teams. Well, right. I mean, sure, it worked. It worked against a, a D two school. Hey, they're FC. Right? Oh, okay, D one and a half. Sorry. I mean. The, the the thing is is I mean at at the end of the day, Campbell is a highly inferior competition to what App's going to play down the stretch, right? Maybe outside of ULM, but yeah. 
you know, the, the, the yeah, I mean, it, it worked against Campbell, but what works against Campbell, especially if you were down a touchdown in the second quarter, isn't going to work down the stretch for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm in Boone, if I'm a fan of App State, yeah, I'm concerned marching into marching into conference play for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, neither one of us has a level of of bias against App that we would say that we're not going to call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? If they were a dominant team again, we would have no problem saying so. It seems though that they're kind of hamstringing themselves in the way that they're calling their offense. And if they, like we said, go super conservative against one of these teams that can score points, I don't know that the running game and Zach Thomas, if a team puts up 28 on them, we have no idea what they're going to do. You know what I mean? If, if a team scores quickly against them, we have no idea what they're going to do. Well, you, 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 heard it, you heard it here first. We'll find out how they react when a team puts 28 on them in eight days. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Well, anyway, uh, App State moves to two and one this season. Uh, Campbell drops to zero and three. I don't know of a better way to preface this game. Uh, UTEP was able to beat <laughs> uh, by twenty five uh, in a game that was never close. Um, I I don't know. I mean, UTEP they're fine, uh, but. ULM is just, it, it's a rough, it's going to be a rough season. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I don't know if they're going to be able to win a game because they seem to be getting worse every week. You know, I, I, I don't say this because I have a large amount of disdain for Monroe. I, I say this, I will, I will make this comment as an unbiased Sunbelt contributor. Please move to FCS. I mean, honestly, you're wasting your time as well as everybody else's. So you don't get tired of, you don't get tired of the uh, hammer and nail, um, you know, kind of situation between you guys and Monroe? Do I get tired of us almost crapping the bed and blowing it every year? Yeah, I'm tired of that. Is that why you're asking to move down? Well, no, I'm... <laughs> no, this is a mouse trap. I've mouse trapped you. I've got you. Yeah, you have. You have. Um, no, man. Just from they, they clearly, clearly, they're not competing on the field. Right. They're not competing from a recruiting standpoint. Therefore, not competing on the field. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this is obviously you know public record, but. Their athletic budget is horrible. Yeah. I think their budget this year was $16 million. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Like that that's not a division one athletic budget. No. Like if ULM wants to have success, it's better for them to be in the FCS because if, if they moved to a conference like the Southland with McNeese and Nichols and Southeastern and, you know, whoever yes. else. I, th- I think Monroe, I don't think they win the conference every year, but I think they'd have more success there than they're having here. Um, I mean, I'm gonna be real, man. I was I was thinking about it. I was looking at some of the SoCon teams. That's the uh, conference that Georgia Southern and App moved up from right. when they came to FBS. I mean, I'm kind of thinking they might have trouble against teams like the Citadel and Furman and Wofford and uh, Ch- UTC Chattanooga, and you know, the only team that they would do cakewalks on is is uh, Western Carolina, and Western Carolina is always bad at football. 
Um, but it's, it's tough because we, you know, as Sunbelt uh, contributors, writers have to find, typically have to find something positive to say. And it, it's almost impossible when you look There's at There's no game. positive. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. got, they got dominated from every angle. In know? a game that they were a nine point favorite. Which I thought was ridiculous. Like I, I didn't think coming into this that UTEP was going to be a cakewalk for them. No game is going to be a cakewalk for them. Even their out-of-conference games, ULM plays Liberty and Louisiana Tech. So, both they might not, yeah, they might not win a game this year. Like, legitimately might not win a game this year. Um, so, in this game, ULM was only able to put up 193 yards of total offense. Uh, UTEP put up 512. Um, <laughs> so... Credit to UTEP. Uh, Dion Hankins was able to run for 118 yards and three scores. Uh, Gavin Hardison uh, had 300 yards passing on 13 completions. Um, Josh Johnson for ULM was their leading rusher. Nine carries, 19 yards. Um, Colby Suits didn't do much. Uh, their leading receiver had 63 yards for the Warhawks. Uh, UTEP had two receivers go over 100 yards at Again, I don't know. There's not much. There's not much to glean from this one, other than ULM's going to really struggle this year. Yeah, no, I, I was just looking at their remaining schedule. I think the only game that they could win is South Alabama. Yep, that, I, I do too. Um, so with that loss, ULM moves to zero and three this season. Uh, UTEP moves to three and one. Uh, so the next game down the list, uh, was a closer game than I was expecting, but Texas state really, uh, blew it there at the end. Well, sorry. Second to last, uh, my, my scoreboard on ESPN here is out of order, uh, time wise, but second to last, uh, Boston college came out on top of Texas state 24, 21, uh, Boston College was able to score 10 points in the final one minute and 11 seconds of action um, to overcome Texas State, who had held a 21 to 14 lead uh, throughout basically the entire fourth quarter until uh, Phil Jerkovic found Hunter Long, their tight end at the 111 mark. And uh, Boston College drilled a 36 yard field goal to end the game. Uh, at one point, according to ESPN, Texas State had a 91.3% win probability uh, with one minute and 11 seconds left to go. God, uh, do, you, do you know what that win could have done, not only for the conference, but for Texas State University? Well, me, me, uh, me looking at the scores of this one, I thought that for sure they were going to be able to at least go to OT and give themselves a chance to win. Um, you know, I was impressed by the way that they were playing. Uh, and when I saw that there was only a minute le 11 left, I, I thought, oh, well, they have this one pretty much wrapped up. I mean, there's no way, right, that they could blow a 10-point lead with a minute left. Well, they proved me wrong because they were able to do just that. I mean, I understand Boston College is a better team, but if Texas State wants to get to the next level, which would, I guess, be the middle of the conference um, of the Sun Belt, you know, these are the type of things you got to close teams like this out. Um, just because even from a talent perspective, I get that the Eagles have more talent than the Bobcats do on paper. But if you have that kind of lead, you have to just be able to kind of run the clock out and be done with it. Yeah, no, I mean, you, in a, in a game like that, like you said, 21 to 14 with a minute left in the game, you got to find a way to get it done. You have to. Um, and, and you certainly can't give up 10 points in that last minute to lose it. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it'd be, it, I think it'd be a different story had they forced overtime and lost. But, yeah, no, you, you can't give that game up like that. Absolutely. So, so kind of going back to what we talked about last week, um, you know, Texas State decided to insert Brady McBride in back at quarterback. Um, you know, he played fairly well, 19 of 29, two touchdowns and a pick. Um, you know, definitely didn't make, uh, what was it, Spavadol? 
look bad for making the switch back from Tyler Vitt. Uh, but I mean, it all, it all just came down to their ability to close out Boston College. I mean, Phil Jerkovic, uh, the Boston College quarterback, just ended up making more plays uh, than Texas State was able to account for. Neither team really jumps off the page stat-wise. I mean, Jerkovic had three total touchdowns, uh, two rushing, one passing, uh, through an interception. Marcel Barbie for Texas State caught two touchdowns on four receptions. Um, I mean... Not much to say other than, I mean, just frankly, Texas State blew it. Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, so moving off of this game, Texas State drops to 1-3 and three this year. Boston College moves to 2-0. and oh. Talking about the final game of the night, uh, we both kind of foresaw this happening, uh, or at least I thought it was not going to be close. And, you know, maybe it had something to do with the fact that on Troy's time, they kicked off at 9.15 p.m. Uh, Central time, but uh, BYU just absolutely outclassed Troy uh, by a score of 48-7. to I think just BYU is a good football team. I don't think I, – I mean, Troy is just not on that level. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just BYU, I think, is a really good team this year. No, they, they totally are. They're uh... – you know, I think they're top 10, top 15 football team this season. Um, and yeah, they, they absolutely dismantled Troy. The, the one thing when you look at BYU and how good they are this year is when you look at the rest of their schedule, it's not overly, because they are an independent team, it's not tough and they don't really play anyone else on their level you know, they were supposed to play Navy week two. Well, I mean, according to the schedule I'm looking at, that one hasn't been rescheduled yet. So the rest of their schedule is Louisiana Tech, Texas, San Antonio, Houston, uh, Houston, who's yet to play a football game and apparently has had four season openers canceled. Um, so who knows what they look like by the time October 16th rolls around. Then BYU plays Texas State, uh, Western Kentucky, and then... Who is this team? North Alabama. Oh, God. Um, so BYU is not really going to play another team on their level, maybe until their bowl game, unless the uh, Army game gets rescheduled. Right. Um, but I think they're, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're truly a top 15 football team. I would have liked to have seen if they had been able to schedule, you know, Notre Dame or something like that, where right. Notre Dame kind of slid into the ACC this year, which made them a conference-only schedule. Um, but BYU-Notre Dame would have been a nice game at this point in the season. Yeah, no, I uh, I think that um, I think that would have been a fun one. But yeah, like, like, we, like we both said, BYU, they're, they're for real this year. And uh, I, I think that a lot of people should be, should be checking out what's going on in Provo, Utah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it at this stage is going to be a lot of blowouts is what they're going to check out in Provo. Um, just again, because their schedule is so soft and they were supposed to play, like I said, Army, and then have just kind of been cobbling together out-of-conference games with Sunbelt teams and Conference USA schools uh, with all of the Power Five mostly going um, uh, conference only. Troy, uh, again, this is one of those, there's not a lot of positives to take away from this one. Um, they kind of just got spanked. I mean, to be quite honest, um, oh, absolutely. Gunner Watson threw for 162 yards and no scores, no interceptions. Uh, their leading rusher, Kimani Vidal, uh, four carries, 23 yards. Uh, their leading receiver, Trey Efford had two catches for 59, uh, I mean, B.J. Smith had the team's only touchdown, and they didn't play great defense, so I'm not sure how much else there is to, to kind of add about this game. Right. Uh, so with that, Troy drops to 1-1, one and one, BYU moves to 2-0. and oh. uh, Let's look ahead to Week 5 in the Sun Belt. Actually, one second. I just want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, there were two games that were supposed to take place that were uh, postponed, um, one was Georgia State Charlotte, uh, which it came out later that Georgia State misread their COVID test results. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and that was the reason the game was postponed. Um, 
So that's tough, especially when you don't know how many games you're going to get this this COVID season. Uh, and then Tulsa, Arkansas State was also postponed. Um, so two games should have happened that didn't. Um, moving through to week five, top of the order, uh, noon kick East Carolina travels to Turner Field uh, to take on Georgia State. Georgia State is a two-point favorite. Um I personally do not know a lot about East Carolina this year. Uh, they got smoked by UCF a couple weeks ago uh, and had their first game of the season against Mar- Marshall postponed. Uh, I think Georgia State's going to win in this one. I don't know how, by how much, uh, but I feel like it's safe to say they're probably going to win by more than two points. Yeah, uh, probably. Um, again, like you said, I, I'm pretty – unfamiliar with with east carolina outside of the thrashing that they took against ucf but uh yeah i don't know vegas vegas hasn't done a very good job with the uh with the line so far this year well uh, when when, uh i was doing the the sunbelt centric podcast with our app state writer you know we are i don't remember what our we never really tallied up what our records were but if you as a, someone who watches the sunbelt every week bet just on sunbelt games you could clean up because yeah. vegas doesn't know how to handicap a lot of these teams because they're like they just look at wins and losses like they don't watch they're more interested in what happened in oklahoma kansas state on saturday like they're not watching you know east carolina take a loss to ucf or georgia state keep it close with Louisiana they're just looking at well both these teams lost so Georgia State's at home two-point favorite um so the the one thing I'll say uh that Georgia State should be on the lookout for Eastern Carolina quarterback Holton Ehlers I think is how his name is said uh went 14 of 29 for 215 and three scores in their loss to UCF you know, if Georgia State has has a, a lapse in their ability to defend the pass, I, I think it could be a little bit of an upset special. But I think Georgia State and what they showed against Louisiana won't have much of trouble uh, with East Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, no, Georgia State should uh, should figure out a way to win that one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we both feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, in what I think is the most interesting Sunbelt game on Saturday – and also a noon kick, and probably the one that I'll be keeping the closest eye on for a noon game, Arkansas State travels to Conway to take on Coastal Carolina. Surprisingly, Arkansas State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, even though they are a road team, and Coastal seems to be you know, pretty much rolling uh, to start the year uh, with wins over Kansas, uh, who's, you know, we all we all acknowledge Kansas isn't a great Power Five school, maybe one of the worst. But then they smoked Campbell Week Two. I I kind of want to. I kind of think there's an upset special brewing here. I think Coastal wins this game at home. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, there's a reason it's on ESPN two at 11 a.m. You know, a lot of people are going to going to tune into that one. Uh, yeah, I I think I agree with you. I think Coastal Carolina is going to figure out a way to. To get it done, you know, I've, I've I've said it here many times. I'm a big fan of Grayson McCall at uh, at quarterback, and you know he's proven me it, it's proven well to be a fan of him over over the first two games. So yeah, like like I said, I think I agree with you when I when say that Coastal is going to find a way to get it done at home. Yeah, I agree. Um, just looking at this, I think this could be like a true coming out party as far as the Sunbelt play goes for Grayson McCall. And I know that we've kind of been on the Grayson McCall train. You were even in preseason, but I've kind of hopped on after, after week one, when they played Kansas, I think that he could really kind of introduce himself to fans of other teams within the conference, including Arkansas state fans. Um, But I mean, I think if Arkansas state doesn't account for him, um, it could be a very long day. And I think Arkansas state has shown the ability to kind of struggle with guys who are the type of quarterback that McCall is, you know, not to say that Arkansas state can't win this game. Um, but I just don't, I don't see how they're three and a half point favorites. Maybe that's another thing with Vegas coming off the Kansas state win that Vegas looks at Arkansas state and goes, well, they're clearly the better team. 
I, I mean, I'm not sure I agree at this point, especially when Arkansas State has to go play on the teal turf. Right. Yeah. I mean, dude, that that teal turf is kind of intimidating. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, you know, I was I was very nervous when we went there last year. Clearly, after the fact, I had no reason to be. But um, yeah, Co- Coastal Carolina finds a way to get it done. One hundred percent. I think if Arkansas State wins this game, it's going to have to be another big game from John, uh, Jonathan Adams Jr., uh, who was really showing out in that win over Kansas State. Um, I think he's really going to have to kind of carry the load here uh, if if uh, Arkansas State wants a chance to win because they're going to have to fling it. Um, Coastal can score points in bunches. Arkansas State's been able to score uh, even when, you know, they, they took a loss to Memphis. They were able to put some points up and kind of keep it close. So I, I think it's going to be – this is the most interesting Sunbelt game on Saturday. So everyone keep an eye out for that game on at noon uh, Eastern time on ESPN2. Uh, so 7 o'clock kick moving down the, the slate of games. Georgia Southern travels to Monroe. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, looking at the betting line, Georgia Southern is a 20-point favorite, which I don't feel they're going to cover. Um, you know, last year, Georgia Southern was able to win 51-29, uh, but a lot of that came because they had a couple big plays at the end when the game was essentially in garbage time. Uh, to kind of cover the spread. So if they don't get another onside kick return, the Eagles, uh, for a touchdown, I don't see them covering the 20 number. I think they will beat UL UL Monroe, though. Uh, I think it would be a huge shock if Monroe was able to bounce back from the showings they've had early this year and beat Georgia Southern. You see, I I disagree. Not only does Georgia Southern win, they find a way to cover and then some. That game is going to get ugly. I, I just think it, it all comes down to UL Monroe's ability to defend the run. Um, and which they can't. Right. That I mean, that's so, going to be a problem. Uh, Colby Suits, the ULM quarterback, has not been able to make teams pay through the air, which I think is one, one thing that if Georgia Southern was playing them and they had a Caleb Evans like they did last year, I think it would make this game a lot more interesting. Uh, until I'm proven otherwise, I, I don't see suits able to torch them through the air. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not writing them off completely and saying they can't throw the ball. Uh, however, that's kind of been their Achilles heel through the first three games. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, the other thing is ULM just lost their best defensive player for the season. You know, Corey, Corey Strotter had surgery on his wrist yesterday and he's going to miss the rest of the season. Yeah, that's tough. So, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, Monroe has no answers defensively. And, yeah, the the way Georgia Southern played against Louisiana, if Georgia Southern can keep that up, Georgia Southern's going to run the table on that one. So, I just did a little bit of math here. Uh, UL Monroe in their first three games on offense is averaging a whopping 10 points per game. Um, they scored a touchdown against Army. They scored 17 against Texas State and six against UTEP. Um, so I mean, if they can't score points, um, I I, I feel very confident saying Georgia Southern is going to be able to grind the clock out. This is going to be a Bob DeBest special, uh, where I think they win the game. It's not going to be overly exciting, uh, but they're going to be able to just kind of take the time off the clock with their running game and uh, keep ULM off the field. Uh, they love doing that when they can. Uh, they really only show up and score a ton of points when they feel like uh, it's absolutely necessary. Um, yeah. So so both of us feel pretty confident in saying Georgia Southern wins. Um, the final game of Saturday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time kick, uh, 7 p.m. Central, Troy travels to Mobile to take on South Alabama. Uh, Troy is five and a half point favorite. I feel fairly confident saying Troy is going to be angry from getting uh, spanked by BYU. I think with how South Alabama's kind of been fading the last two games, I think Troy is able to win this game by about two scores. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Troy's Troy's one of those teams that you know when they when they want to completely shut you down defensively, they're going to. 
And then they're they're known around the country for scoring in bunches, which is I, I think against a weaker South Alabama defense is exactly what they're going to do. Uh, you know, in my opinion, I think Troy wins by at least fourteen. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I I think the minus five and a half is a little uh, a little low. Um, I, I would probably put it more around ten or eleven. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that'll be, that'll be, um, it'll be a good game for Troy to figure out where they are as a team. But at the same time, it would be a good game for South Alabama to wake up and kind of show some, what they looked like in game one against Southern Miss. Yeah. So, uh, head coach for the South Alabama Jaguars, Steve Campbell, is being pretty, from what I'm reading here on Alabama.com, is being pretty tight-lipped about Desmond Trotter's uh, availability for this game. Um, I guess it's not for COVID reasons, but Trotter missed the UAB uh, game due to, quote, an illness. Um, and Steve Campbell says he remains in, quote-unquote, protocol. So I'm not sure what that means. Uh, but it is an illness, uh, and not a concussion. Um, so Trotter, uh, got a shoulder injury apparently against Southern Miss. Uh, he played a little bit against Tulane and apparently re-aggravated the shoulder, uh, and then came down with an illness after that and missed the UAB game. I think if, uh, Trotter could go and if he's at full strength, I'd give, uh, South Alabama more of a shot to beat Troy. Um, but it, you know, Levertich played fairly well against Tulane and then just not well, uh, not great last week. So, you know, it, if Trotter can't go, I I feel very confident saying Troy comes away with a win in this one. Yeah, if, if, if Trotter goes, I think it could be a different game. But like you said, if if Trotter's out for whatever reason, Troy, Troy runs away with it for sure. Absolutely. So... Wrapping up this pre these previews uh, and looking at Saturday's games, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, I think the one that both of us are looking forward to the most are Arkansas State and Coastal. Uh, I think they're the most evenly matched teams on paper, uh, even from you know an out of conference perspective. Uh, so, I mean, is that what you're looking forward to watching the most since your your Cajuns have the week off? Yeah, um, that, that's definitely going to be the most intriguing game in the Sun Belt, uh, you know, around the country. Ah, man, I, I don't even I don't even really know. I haven't really had a chance to look at, you know, what's happening um, around the country this weekend. But in, in terms of in terms of a Sun Belt game, yeah, for sure. Coastal and Arkansas State is definitely going to be the best one on the schedule. I think for fans of Sunbelt teams, uh, it may be a good uh, excuse uh, to watch that game at noon uh, between, you know, Coastal and uh, Arkansas State and maybe look at some Power 5 games. I hate to kind of advocate for that, uh, but there are no games on the slate from noon until noon Eastern until 7 Eastern. Uh, so maybe keep an eye out for a game like Alabama and A&M. Uh, maybe watch uh, Auburn and Georgia a little bit at 7.30. Yeah. Um, Iowa State. That one too. Uh, if Iowa State shows a pulse, that could be interesting. Um, they haven't yet, but... Yeah, they you know, they're, not, they're, not very, they're not very good at that this year. I, I don't want to get off topic because this is a simple <laughs> podcast. If... Did you see the pass I mean, that we, Brock Purdy threw against TCU on Saturday? Did you see yes. that? Okay. Yes. Okay. And and are we are we really getting off topic? I mean, Louisiana did beat them. It's off topic because they play another Big Twelve school. But I mean, I I honestly, if we if you said Iowa State, I could not go without bringing up that backwards pass that he threw right to a a Horned Frogs defender last Saturday. Yeah, that, that wasn't Brock Purdy's best move. No. Um, but, you know. So wrapping up the this edition of the Sunbelt podcast, Matt, tell everybody at home where they can find you on social media. You can find me on social media at Miguez Matt, as well as Rage and Review. 
And for all the Sunbelt people that listen, um, if you're looking for some good App State clean hate, uh, definitely tune in to my UL podcast this week because uh, it's App State hate week. So I have a question. Are you just going to go two weeks railing on App State then? Absolutely. Absolutely. I might have to tune in. What are we going to do? I might have to tune in then. Yeah, you definitely will. All right. So as always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. We will be back next week to recap this short slate of games and get into week six in the Sun Belt. 